So welcome to a, a special edition of Make and Multiply, our podcast. Um, our goal is to do some of these episodes that we're calling Hear and Obey. Uh, and in these episodes, what we want to do is dig into the text of Scripture that was preached on the Sunday before, uh, which is what we do in our discipleship huddle. So I'm here with Matt Groon, uh, I'm Ryan Chase, and we are going to be talking about Exodus 1, 1 through 7 today, because that's where we were yesterday, Sunday, in our corporate worship as we started this Exodus series, You Shall Know That I Am The Lord. Uh, just briefly, before we get into the text, I want to say a couple things about what we're doing here. Uh, one, we are not trying to give out the answers to huddle questions or, or say this is the conversation, this is the way all the conversations should look in discipleship huddles. We're not trying to give out the answers, we're just trying to model the process. Yeah. Um, how we talk about God's word with a view to application. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because we have two things in mind. One, we want to understand what does the text mean? What is God saying? And then secondly, we want to focus on how does it apply to my life? What is God saying to me? And then what is he calling me to do in response to what he's saying? Yeah, that's a a good point to clarify is um, when we meet in our huddles, the aim is not like, you know, I think of images of, what Bible studies in American evangelicalism could look like, like hand out the text. Okay. What is that? How do you feel? Mm-hmm. <laughs> how did that make you feel? What, what do you think it means? Mm-hmm. That's not what we're after. And we don't, we don't want to be after that because of our convictions about the scripture. Uh, it being from God. It mean this is, we are after the author's intended meaning. So we work hard to discern that, to, to, what did Moses mean when he wrote this? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one thing. It's not infinite things. So we're after that one thing. But uh, you were describing earlier that that has infinite application to our souls. But that is done by his word and through his spirit. So what we're really after here is not just to be hearers, but to be doers. And in order for us to do, we need to hear correctly. Right. Yeah. We want to understand the meaning of the text and then apply that. So uh, we don't want to be in one ear, not the other Christians, which is why we're doing these episodes, Hear and Obey. It's just another way for us to really dwell on Mm -hmm. and meditate on a text of Scripture. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we've talked about this before, the tendency that we all have to, um, you know, we hear a sermon on Sunday, then Monday we're on to whatever the work week involves, whatever blogs we're reading, yeah. whatever other podcasts, you might go listen to other preachers. What do they preach on Sunday? Yes. And it's probably not uncommon for people by Monday afternoon, if you were asked, hey, what was the sermon about yesterday? It's kind of like a foggy, distant memory. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think something in Exodus. <laughs> yes. Guilty. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> and, and so we all have that tendency. And, and so... Yeah, um, Also, a lot of times people are looking for content, like, I I want a book to read, I want a Bible study to do. And so this is just a way of highlighting, you know, as a corporate body of believers, we are in the Word every week under the preaching of God's Word, and and we want to receive that Word and bear fruit with that. The the church is feminine Hmm. in relationship to Christ, um, and femininity is fruitfulness. So the church's job is to receive the Word and bear fruit with it. So we want to receive that word and not just in one ear, not the other, but take hold of it, believe it, trust it. And then we want that word to, to take root in us and produce fruit of godliness and godly affections mm-hmm. and godly behavior. So hear and obey 
that process really matters. I, uh, I've been recently been reading again through Kevin DeYoung's book, Taking God at His Word, mm. um, which I think we have available at our, at our book table. Um, but he says this in his chapter on God's word being enough. Um, he's referencing um, the sufficiency of scripture. And when he says, of the four attributes of scripture, which is sufficiency, clarity, authority, and necessity, this one, meaning sufficiency, may be the one that evangelicals forget first. Mm. Uh, if authority is the liberal problem, clarity the postmodern problem, and necessity the problem for atheists and agnostics, then sufficiency is the attribute most quickly doubted by rank and file church-going Christians. Mm. I think that's exactly right. Like mm. that, we can be rank and file church-going Christians. He, he actually goes on to say, we can say all the right things about the Bible even read it regularly, but when life gets difficult or just a bit boring, we look for new words, new revelation, and new experiences to bring us closer to God. Um, that feels, yeah, that makes me feel, mm-hmm. that, that puts a finger on me. Um, yeah. And I feel that way. Like I can say I believe in the sufficiency of God, uh, of the scripture, but when, I, when life comes at me, when it's Monday, when it's Wednesday, when my kids are acting up or you know, I'm having a problem at work or I feel stressed, all these other things come to me, I look for new revelation. I need well, something else. I need something else other than this book that God gives us. So if we do believe, 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed and useful mm. and profitable for all of my life, um, then Exodus 1, 1 through 7 has something to say to me that is for my good mm-hmm. and I can not only I must hear it rightly and then do it yeah. um, I, I just think that's why it's, we want to take time to do something like this because it's a it's it's a problem for all of us right it's a it's a symptom of a of because what we do when we say God's word isn't enough is what we're saying is God you've not been you're not you're withholding something good from us we need to go somewhere else yeah. and yeah. may we never think that that's right yeah so it comes out of our conviction that um to belong to a particular local body of believers Mm. to be under the word together um receiving the diet of god's word where he has us that that this text is for us that it that it's um relevant to our lives Mm -hmm. uh and even though we're all living in different circumstances going through different issues, problems, whatever we're facing, God is making himself known to yes. us. And there's something he wants to do in each of us. Yeah. And so, there's, there's something really cool too of the fact that it, and informative in the fact that this is a word that was declared to the church, yeah. that was to the gathered church, not just me in my, in my car listening to a podcast of yeah. some preacher, my favorite preacher across the world that, mm-hmm. you know, is whatever. No, there's something specific about sitting, and this is why, you know, we can make a pitch here for why we should be in the gathered church, not just, you know, you know, listening to it from afar, but gathering with the people of God, hearing the word declared is the life of the Christian. This is, this yeah. is the meat. This is the, the highlight of the, of the week. Yeah. Um, and so this word is a word that's worth lingering over um, and not just, you know, popping in popcorn shrimp throughout the week that just kind of keeps me going kind of yeah. this is the meal this is the feast yeah so we want to feast on it like yeah uh sit down and, and actually enjoy it savor mm. it um 
James 1, 22 through 24 is probably the most relevant text that speaks to this, where, where James specifically says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And then he goes on to give this great uh, picture. He says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Yeah. Um, that danger of looking in the mirror, walking away and forgetting what you were like, the, the the best illustration of that I've, I've heard is, you know, imagine looking in the mirror. The purpose of doing that is to see, how do I look? Everything okay. Everything okay. <laughs> and if you've got, you know, some broccoli stuck in your teeth and you don't do anything about it, you look in the mirror, you see it, and then you walk away without doing anything and you forget that it's there, James is saying, that's absurd. That's ridiculous. Why, why would you do that? Um, so the word is supposed to have an effect on us. So I think that's enough about yeah. why we're doing this. We want to jump into Exodus 1, and, and we're just going to read the text and pray and then talk about it. What is God yeah. saying to us, and, and how does it affect our hearts, hmm. our affections, our thoughts, our, our lives? So Exodus 1, 1 through 7. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So, Father, as we read your word as we talk about it, as we seek to be affected by it, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would bless this time. Um, help us to receive from you what you have spoken to us for your glory and for our good. Amen. Amen. Mm. Exodus 1, 1 through 7. <laughs> Man, this is, it just, it's, I was, I think Greg, I was by Greg yesterday when, Somebody mentioned just something about him. He just said he, he was thrilled to be back in narrative. Mm. Um, you know, there's, he mentioned it kind of at the, at the front of, so why Exodus now? I think that's a great question. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, at the core, Exodus is a story. I mean, it's part of the epic story of the people of Israel that we find ourselves somewhere in that line somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it does matter to us. Um, and so when we, when I read this text, I just I think he even made the point of like, hey, this fails and it's <laughs> and it's like appetized like to, to grab your attention. What, well, yes, but also I think he read a, a, a Riken quote that it's like yeah. it's just brimming with potentiality. There's so much here though, because because what it is is it, it's a seven verse summary of 400 years mm-hmm. of history. Um, you close Genesis chapter, or yeah, at the end of Genesis, like the curtain comes down of the act, uh, and then the curtain before the curtain comes back up, some you know narrator comes out and gives a quick hey, four hundred years later, and then then in verse eight, which we'll get to next week, now it starts with the word jump now the heat yeah you yeah. get all of a sudden the curtain comes up here's where we're at well how did we get here these seven verses, um, and so there's a lot there to, mm. to think about of how did we get from how did the people of God get from this small little family unit that was dying of starvation yeah. and uh, was throwing their brothers into slavery and all this tomfoolery that's happening in the land that God gave them mm. how did they end up here mm-hmm. uh, and this just this little package gets us 
there. Yeah. And, and right away we, we notice, uh, at least I noticed, that the language that, that pops out, that sticks out clearest to me is verse 7, where he says, the people of, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. Mm. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong. To the original readers, and I think to, to us who've you know, spent enough time in his word, that language is important. And yeah. that rings back to... Should echo. Should echo stuff that we've read before. So it's coming from yeah. Genesis, Genesis 1, 1, Genesis 2, mm-hmm. um, even Genesis 9, the promises made to Noah, but probably most um, immediately to Genesis 12 and 15, the covenant promises made to Abraham yeah. that they will... They will be fruitful and multiply, and they will fill a land. They will be more numerous than the stars of the yeah. heavens. Yeah. yeah, some of that language is um, obviously connected to Genesis 1 and, and rings a bell right away. Fruitful and multiply mm-hmm. echoes uh, Genesis one twenty eight. be fruitful and multiply. It's easier to miss in verse 7. Uh, they increased greatly in the Hebrew. That, that's the same word that's used... Um, uh, to speak of the birds and yeah. the fish teeming, the land teemed with yes. them. Um, or, or maybe it's the, so the land was filled with them, yeah. that, that part there. It, it's, so it's, that is also echoing Genesis. Yeah. And, the land teeming with them. And the original readers would, and us, we read that, and if we know the promises made to, to Abraham in Genesis 12, maybe it's worth flipping there. In, in just, you know you can't see us, but... If, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it with our Bibles yeah, open. Right. <laughs> so uh, Genesis 12, the call of Abram uh, starts, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred into your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you I will curse, and in all the families of the earth will be blessed. Um, so... And then it's reiterated in chapter 15 in a, um, a famous uh, covenant that God makes with Abram um, about his descendants being more numerous than the stars. But the key piece there is descendants, mm-hmm. blessing, and land. The land is a huge a huge category in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And so here in Exodus, not only we see... We, it seems like the covenant is being fulfilled in front of our yeah. eyes. We see... Yeah, there it is. There it is. The people, be, the family is a nation. Be fruitful now, and multiply, and they have been fruitful and they've multiplied. And how, about, how about that? We're there. Problem, verse, verse uh, 7, and so the land was filled with them. Great. Well, which, which land? land? <laughs> verse 1, they came to Egypt. They are in the wrong land. They are not in the right land. So, like, immediately we should be thinking, something's up. Mm. Uh, but, but that is full of that potentiality yeah. and expectation because even before you get in, into any of the action, yes. before you get into verse 8 and find out that they are being oppressed and yeah. enslaved, no action has happened yet. But already, if you are familiar with Genesis, which the author of Exodus is assuming, because this is kind of like a the hitch yeah. Yeah. between Genesis and Exodus. So exactly. it's, it's linking everything. It's the prologue to the sequel. Yeah. yeah. And, and so with that transition... You know, you're thinking, wow, there it is. They have been fruitful. They have multiplied, but they're in the wrong place. So the question on the reader's mind is, how's that going to come about? God, Uh-oh. Certainly God is going to get them <laughs> to the right place. Yes. How? How are they going to get mm-hmm. to the right land? And and that's the book of Exodus. I mean, the, the book of Exodus, the title, they're going to exit the land yeah. and go somewhere else. Right. Um, but yeah, this 
this this text is just you know we could read this and say well <laughs> how does this apply to my life mm. um, and I thought I thought that on the sermon on Sunday it was it was so helpful Greg's this was seemed to be his main point that our God is faithful mm-hmm. to his people to his purpose and to his promise so, so maybe I can, Ron I can ask you how does first of all do you see that in the text yeah. and how does that land on you? Mm. Yeah, a- absolutely. You know, it's it's obvious we're, we're trying to get into the author's mind. W- yeah. What's the author's meaning? Um, I thought it was so helpful the way that Greg set that up and talked about the audience for this. If, if you know, as tradition says, and Jesus and the New Testament authors agree, Moses, mm-hmm. these books are referred to as Moses, these mm-hmm. first five books. So Moses is the author, but they're primarily written for that next generation yeah. who didn't live through it or people who are too young to remember it if yeah. they were you know infants when when the exodus happened so that generation there, yeah. there's a generation that experienced everything all the events of the exodus and then they were unfaithful to god mm. um but then there's another generation they need to know the story I, I just thought that was so helpful one um in terms of relevance it i just sat there yesterday listening to the sermon that part in particular it just struck me we're in the same boat like we mm. did not personally experience these things yes. and it's easy to read about God's acts in history and mm-hmm. think oh we're so far removed from that um, and so somehow they are diminished in our minds mm-hmm. and yet God's purpose was for a generation that did not see the plagues did not cross through the Red Sea to right. say to them this is who I am for you right and so by linking back to Genesis and echoing that language you have God's faithfulness mm-hmm. proven there same God doing the same thing, same purpose, same promises, yeah. and they're for you. And the fact that the promises that are being referenced isn't like only to Joseph right. or only to Jacob or even only to Abraham. These mm-hmm. are prom- the promises that the language is referring to is referencing, like we said, all the way back to the garden. This is not a new God's thing. purpose for humanity. Exactly, that they would be fruitful and multiply mm-hmm. and dwell with him in a place yeah. to be with him forever. And so, of course, the problem introduced itself of... Of sin, mm-hmm. and so the question, although if you if you start in Genesis one, by Genesis three, we're asking how is God going to fix this? Yeah. And even in that, there's a promise that He will fix it. Mm-hmm. But here in Exodus, we get to this, and the original the original audience would be hearing like, okay, we're we're coming up to our time. Mm-hmm. We're not at our time, but you know, like you said, this was written to the second generation, so. You know, think of us like this. Is, this would be like okay. Let's talk about Vietnam or mm-hmm. World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, feels like a million years ago, but not that long ago. And so there's lessons to be learned. But for us in our chair, like it was a really long time, but thousands and thousands of years ago that this is taking place. But the promises are anchored in creation realities. Mm-hmm. And so if you're created, these are for you. Yeah, <laughs> and I've, we've been created. And not only that, God has saved us and through Christ it, these promises that are made are now yes and amen for us and so it's worth our lingering it's yeah. worth our digesting and feasting yeah the, in verse 1 these are the names of the sons of Israel uh, verse 7 but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly mm-hmm. um, again in the Hebrew th- those are the same two phrases but it starts with the sons the, the literal 12 sons of Israel, mm. um, and, and then it goes to the sons of Israel 
extended out the people, the nation, who hmm. are, you know, the descendants of, because in verse 6, all the direct sons of Israel have died, hmm. and yet the people of Israel are, are, are not gone. And so there's this continuation of the people and God's yeah. purpose for them. And, and I think uh, there, there's so much application there in just looking at those list of names, and Greg made this point of God's faithfulness to his people. When you read those names, and, and then you go back and read Genesis and read about those men, <laughs> and, and you realize how sordid their yes. past was, um, their family legacy, <laughs> um, clearly God did not choose them because they were the right. best and the brightest, right. um, the most upstanding, mm. um, had the most to offer the world. It, and, and there's so much hope in that. One, it's humbling to me. Yeah. When I read that and I'm reminded when God chooses people, he does not choose them because of how great they are. Right. He chooses them because of his faithfulness to his purpose. It's immediately humbling to my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it should cut through all of our arrogance, all of our sinful mm. pride, because there is something incredible about being chosen by God. Yes. God chose us. That should cause incredible joy. Yeah. And, there is uh, a response. Yes. Wow. A proper response. Amazing. Yeah. And, and yet in sin, the response is, wow, I must be yeah. something special yeah. exactly. rather than what kind of a God is this who would choose people like us? Yeah, that when you read those names, like you said, and you you, you go back into Genesis, I think it's what sorry thirty six uh, is kind of the story mm-hmm. of Joseph, is where it all kind of kicks off. Um, and even you know you look at that list of brothers, and you know that at least they all at least sold one of their brothers into mm-hmm. slavery, so that should be that should knock them all out. And then you have Reuben, who was he slept with his one of his dad's wife, one mm-hmm. of his wives. Mm-hmm. And then you have the brothers, uh, uh, Simeon and Levi who avenged their, their sister yeah. by violent wiping out a whole clan. And then even Judah, like, okay, Judah, he's the one that, that the scepter passed to and the promises of yeah. the covenant are coming to Judah. Hooray. Yeah. Well, Moses is so wants to make it so clear that even back in Genesis 37, yeah, he was like, has chapter. this side story of Judah and Tamar. And that's plenty that that would be yeah. <laughs> disqualifying for the purity, the purity exam. But the, it's you're right. I, I love this quote. I, I wrote this quote down from that Greg mentioned uh, by Riken. Joseph and his brothers had just one thing going for them, and that was their God. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is that has marked all of God's people yeah. for all time. That's us. That and it, exactly it marks me. So what's my what what's my what are my affections in response to that is. Like you said, my life is in its own way just as sordid and just as um, sin-filled as the, there's nothing that separates them from me. But the thing we have in common is God, yeah. a, a God who has saved us. Yeah. So wherever you're at right now, um, yeah, I just the questions come to my mind. What what sin and shame do you mm-hmm. have in your family history? Mm-hmm. Um, what sin and shame do you have in your own? personal history and all of that can seem completely disqualifying it's over or there's no no hope and to see what god can do with people like that Mm. in no time at all because he's god yeah it just gives so much hope and it gives hope not just for it gives confidence in my it gives confidence assurance humility to Mm -hmm. my soul and confidence in what god can do for others yeah um, it gives confidence and mission that it also like relieves, you know, of our convictions of reformed soteriology of the 
fact that I don't, my sales pitch doesn't save people. Mm -hmm. God saves people. Yeah. And the good news is, as we see from this text, God saves the worst. Yeah. <laughs> Not just, there's nobody who could, I think what we're saying on Sunday, there, there is no sinner beyond mm. the infinite stretch of God's mercy. Yeah. That, that is humbling, encouraging, and gives confidence that we can, we can engage our world and never, never should we be defeatist. We are optimists. Yeah. We, in a time like this culturally, oh, when yeah. people are looking at how crazy the world is and what's going on in the mm. culture around us, it, it's easy to think, uh, well, this would take hundreds of years to clean up. <laughs> and, and really, we're, you're only ever seconds away from revival. Like yeah. this, When people turn to the Lord, call on Him, things mm. change. He changes people. Mm. And so uh, just, just knowing that, is is tremendous. Well, yeah, and even what Greg said in his, his uh, introduction, God's aim in Exodus is mission, namely that yeah, he wants people, people know would him. know I am mm -hmm. the Lord. And we live like man, that section he had on that I think he said he was referencing uh, the rise and triumph of the modern self. Of mm -hmm. we are filled with people. We, our culture is filled with those who say I am the Lord. Yeah. And what this book, and especially Exodus as a mission, wants us to know is God will make himself known that he is the Lord. He is, yeah. Yeah, I think um, you're moving on to God's purpose, uh, which is in the text, in the language that's echoing Genesis 1. Not just God's purpose um, unique to that place and time, but God's purpose in creation. Yeah. God means to fill this world with people who bear his image, who mm -hmm. represent his glory, um, people who know him and are in relationship with him and mm -hmm. enjoying him and worshiping him. That's God's purpose. Um, I, I think personally, the application of that, I, I've just kind of been reflecting since yesterday on the question, um, am I consumed with God's purpose? Mm -hmm. that, that's the purpose of God. That's what he's up to. It's easy to get distracted by my own agenda, mm -hmm. my own projects, other things that I have going on. So I've just been kind of coming back to that. That's God, that's what you're up to. Mm. And I want that to be my greatest passion in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's when we align ourselves with that, you know, when we align ourselves with that purpose or when the spirit of God causes us to, to walk in step with that purpose, uh, we, we see that is how, you know, you know, Piper's right when he says God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. What, what he's getting to is that all of our life is lived in the glory of God. Mm -hmm. It's not just for pastors. It's not just for missionaries. It's mm -hmm. not just for you know the theologians in the academia. Mm -hmm. All Christians everywhere are living before the face of God. And and when we live out that purpose in even just things like how we raise our kids, mm -hmm. how we go to work how we interact with anybody, mm -hmm. um, how we respond in situations, all of that mm -hmm. is when, when the Spirit of God aligns us with His purposes, He is faithful to bring them about yeah. and to, to see them brought about. And that's, the, that's, that's huge. I mean, that, again, gives me, <laughs> gives me a purpose that isn't you know, just the end of my lifetime, but I pass that on to my kids. Yeah. It affects the way I parent. It affects the way I work. It affects the way I have relationships with people. Yeah. Everything else that we do finds its meaning and purpose in that, living yeah. for 
God's purpose to be known, to be worshipped. Mm-hmm. We talk about making and multiplying disciples. That's rooted in this. Yes. To be fruitful, to multiply. Um, the Great Commission is the narrowing focus of yeah. that. It's it's not just increase numerically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people use that language when they talk about having kids and growing families. You know, well, be fruitful, multiply. Yes. And, and then raise those children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord so that they yeah. would know him and trust him. Because the goal is not just have lots of kids, but right. to raise up future adults who would know what God has done. They would know him also mm-hmm. as the Lord. So it gives, it gives so much um, purpose, whether it's in relationship, if you have children, you know, raising children. It, we're right in the midst of parenting, <laughs> oh, you yeah. and I. Um, so that's what we're about. Yeah. It's about teaching and training and disciplining our kids yeah. to know the Lord. Yeah. Um, and to tell them the wondrous works of God. Right. To declare what, to them. what he has done. Mm-hmm. And by doing so, we are a chain in the link of yep. God's of God's, of God's God's purposes. And, and these people in Exodus, they, they find themselves along that chain. Mm-hmm. But again, it's anchored all the way back in the garden to, that God will be glorified in his people in a place... And that the way that that happens is we make and multiply. We make and multiply mm-hmm. physically, but also spiritually, and disciple the nations. Mm-hmm. And as we, as that happens, and as that is faith, as God is faithful to bring that about, you know, it, yeah, it is it is numerical, but it's also uh, what we're after is to fill the earth yeah. with the knowledge of the glory of God. Right. That is that is it. I mean, that's what we're after. Yeah, so it, you know, beyond so parenting is part of that. Having kids is certainly part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, raising them to be Christians is part of that. Yeah. Um, but then getting to know neighbors and mm-hmm. coworkers and uh, talking about the gospel with people is also part of that. Yeah. Because there are people who don't yet know Him mm-hmm. as the Lord, um, and and that's how God is building His church as unbelievers, those who are currently far from Him. Yeah. come into contact with the story of his glory through people who are talking about it and recounting his wonders and praising him and declaring what he has done. I think, too, the, the well, part of what I think Moses is doing here as well is, is helping the, the generation open up, their, open up their lenses to the scope of God's work. And mm-hmm. I think that's a tendency for us especially um, where we can get so narrow-focused on my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, I can even open that up to my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation. But anything past that, you know, it's archaic, doesn't affect me. And also, we also tend to not think very future past our own children because right. we think, well, the Lord will come back or yeah. we'll all be raptured or whatever. But <laughs> so I'll the, burn up before that. That's right, especially now. But to open our lens to see that everything is consequential. Yeah. Like, this, te- this story is just, you know, one paragraph in my text. But the effect that it has on that generation is immense. Mm. That you know, you, you trace that family line up to the the you know little moon worshiper in the Ur of the Chaldeans. Yeah. Abram gets a call from God that says, "All right, here's what you're going to do." Yeah. The effect that that one interaction had on millions of people downstream. So yeah. you know, I think of you and I. We're only sitting here because. The gospel broke into our family line somewhere upstream, mm-hmm. and somebody was somebody told somebody's neighbor who told my great 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 whatever, and told them about Jesus. Yeah. And that effect, long term, has brought about 
you and me here at this table talking about what God has done. The wondrous works of God have been declared from generation to generation to generation. Yes. And maybe, you know, you are hearing this or reading this or sitting in on this, and you are the first generation mm-hmm. of that. Praise God. Right. Let's pass it on and, and, and move it down. and Because yeah. that is how this these promises of making and multiplying, being fruitful, and um, all of that is coming through to for the glory of God alone. Yeah. I... I think that this paragraph highlights, like you're saying, opens up, widens the lens for us, causes us to think generationally. Mm. And, and that's that has been and is currently one of the most life-changing things for me mm. to, to take on that perspective, mm. both looking back and having a greater awareness and appreciation and, and gratitude to God for yeah. people upstream from yeah. me. You know, the people in... Uh, Egypt or you know the next generation they've come out of Egypt now they're wandering around in the wilderness about to go to the promised land this is the story that tells them how they got where they are yes um, because they are there as a result of other generations and the choices that they made mm-hmm. and the things that they did and the encounters mm-hmm. that they had with God and downstream from that people's lives are different they live in a different place because yeah. of it yeah same sure. with us you know we, we live where we live because there were generations before us that made decisions right to leave mm-hmm. you know, England for a lot of my ancestors, <laughs> Netherlands for yours. <laughs> yeah, that's them. Come over here. Yeah. Uh, so we're downstream and we are affected, even if we don't know those people. Yeah. And we don't know the details of the specific choices they made. And, and then when you turn and you look into the future and you think, how many hundreds and thousands and even millions of mm. descendants might there be from my line yeah. by God's grace in just... A few hundred years. It yeah. doesn't take long. And when you start long. thinking out that way, it, it changes how I think about today. What am I doing today to leave a legacy, not just for my children whom I know, but for right. my great-great-grandchildren whom I will never know? Right. Well, I mean, I mean, Moses says it, right? In verse, um, verse 5, all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Okay. <laughs> well, if, if we flip over to numbers, which we won't, but if, if you look at the census that's taken mm. as they're leaving Mount Sinai, uh, just a couple, you know, years after this story that we're about to encounter, you know, depending on how you take those numbers and all that stuff. But yeah. if you just take those numbers at face value, plus what the average household looked like then, you're north of 3 million people walking through the desert. That substantial. It says it all. <laughs> it does not take long. Exponential growth is a real thing. Yes. And we, I mean, that's why we're trying to make and multiply disciples and to look to the only way we can have staying confidence that what I'm doing by interacting with my neighbor, raising my three kids, my, you know, what impact will that have long term is not in my ability to right. engage or to parent or whatever, but in the faithfulness of God mm-hmm. to bring about his promise for his purposes. What he's doing in the To world. his people. Exactly. So that's... That's our heart, and that has a massive implication in yeah. our daily life. Yeah, I think you know. Moving on, and um, to that last point that Greg made about God's faithfulness to His promise. Mm. Um, anytime we look back at how God has kept His promises in the past, the purpose of that for us is to convince us to trust Him for the future. That's right. So looking back is good because it it assures us God has always kept his word in the past. Yeah. Um, and so we can look to the future and know he, he will today and tomorrow as well. Um, yeah, Ro- 
Romans 4, Paul talking about Abraham and his this this very blessing that is passed to him says, um, he's talking about Abraham, he says, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, mm. but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do all that he had promised. Mm. And just, just think about Abram. Like, he's just this, he's this, this guy in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> just gets, just God comes to him, <laughs> speaks to him, makes promises to him, and he goes. Yeah. And as he goes, his strength, his faith is strengthened because he sees. Even if you, you know, if you read his story, you see he was by no means a <laughs> yeah perfect perfect example, but. His faith grew and deepened because he saw God being faithful to his promises yeah. over and over again. And just this, in this meager lifetime of his. Yeah. And we have a book recounting generations after generation of the faithfulness of God on display to his people. And then we have 2,000 years of history since God preserving and being faithful to his people, our own family histories. Yeah. That we, That is what faith is. Mm-hmm. It's no unbelief is wavering because we are confident in what God is able to do what he has promised to do. So I should expect my faith to be strengthened as we work through the book of Exodus. Yes. Because I'm going to encounter these true stories of God and his faithfulness Mm. and his power on display, God revealing himself, God being faithful to love his people and show them covenant keeping, uh, steadfast love and kindness and, and seeing that just increases my assurance he is that God for me yeah. as well. And what we have here is a, an account, a, a testimony. We know these things about God by way of testimony. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's so common for people to say things like, well, if I could see it for myself, mm-hmm. if I could experience it, you know, if I had a burning bush moment, <laughs> if I could see the plagues and the Red Sea parting, and yeah. then I would believe. And what's so sobering about the book of Exodus is the generation that saw all that stuff with their own eyes was the generation <laughs> yeah. that disbelieved. Yeah. They think about them, you know, this is jumping ahead in the story, but gathered at Mount Sinai. Yes. Lightning and fire <laughs> from heaven, the ground shaking. Don't touch the mountain or you will die. <laughs> and, and they said, don't worry, we won't. Yeah. We're scared out of our minds. Moses, you go up there and talk to God for us. That They had all of that... Um, you know, tangible experience of God with, with their senses, mm. and yet they disbelieved. And then an account of it is passed on to another generation, and they trust the Lord. And, and that's us. We're, we're in that boat where we believe by way of testimony. Yeah. We have a written account. This is what God has done. And, and that's enough yeah. to believe and to, to trust the Lord. Yeah, it is. It should humble us to hear the stories of I mean, what clear, I mean, that they may know I am the Lord. Mm. I will send hail from heaven. I will send, <laughs> I'll turn the Nile blood red. I will put darkness over. Mm. I will even kill the firstborns. Mm. All of, I will declare I am the Lord. Because because the point of, the point that in this story is not just that Israel would know, but right. that all might, I mean, the Egyptians, yeah, the Egyptians knew the nations. who this guy was. Yeah. And... All of us, and all of that, and the scene you describe at Sinai, and Moses goes up, and he's gone just but like two weeks, and then all of a sudden they made a golden calf, yep. and they go out into the wilderness, and I think this is in Numbers, and when they're and they're grumbling in the 
because they're hungry and they say, God, we should have just stayed in Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have, you don't even care about us. Mm-hmm. How quickly, it just is, yeah. we can locate Forget. ourselves mm-hmm. in the book of Exodus as an Egyptian. Yeah. So, man, I'm excited yeah. for this series. I think it's timely. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's, uh, it's just an epic, epic story of the human experience. Mm-hmm. Um, in the grandest of scales of the, the, you know, the plagues and the exodus to this like intimate interaction between God and Moses, the burning bush, to these mountaintop experiences, even to the giving of the law mm. um, and the formation of a tabernacle by which God is going to dwell with his people. I mean, it's just, we have a unique experience and position that the Israelites, even those who were there could have never dreamed of, mm-hmm. of all of this, we know they could only think of what this was for and pointing to. We know that it all finds its accumulation in Christ. Yeah. And in his, he is the sacrificial lamb. He is the tabernacle, mm-hmm. the Emmanuel who dwells with us. Um, man, it's just that, that is such, that's just a feast for my soul. Yeah. Uh, and the confidence and promises that God is faithful mm-hmm. to his people and to his purposes and to his promises. Amen. One takeaway, just something, application, something God's saying to you. Yeah, I, yeah, I think just what I said was, it's such a simple phrase. God is faithful, mm. um, and of course, of course He is, and it's easy for us to say yes to that and yes and amen to that. Um, it's kind of like talking about gospel centered, mm. like, yeah, of course I'm gospel centered, and it's bandied around so often that. It loses its mm. void of its meaning. But just that idea of God is faithful regardless of circumstance, regardless of the people involved. Mm. He will bring about his purposes. Just That just has such immediate impact to my life mm. and to that I, when, when, you know, one of my kids is acting up or I'm just feeling swamped and busy or I don't feel like going to huddle or I want to sleep or MC I don't want to host or whatever the, the heat of life is applied just that idea of God's faithfulness to bring about his purposes even in me yeah. and even in and through these circumstances because so all this is you just even think to what just a couple of verses earlier if you were to connect to Exodus and Genesis Joseph went through the ringer Joseph felt all that we've described and more mm. of being abandoned and, and whatnot and what he says to his brothers in, I think it's, was it 50? Um, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Mm-hmm. That, that's the epitome of God's faithfulness. Right. He will keep us. He yeah. will hold us. He will, and not just hold us to ride out the storm. He's refining. Mm-hmm. He's, 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 he's making, he's bringing people to their, mm-hmm. to their very, uh, where he's meaning for them to bring. I think, Last, last thing in my mind when I think of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 1. The book of Deuteronomy is Moses' last word to that generation. Um, he wrote this long history to get to this sermon in the book of Deuteronomy, right on the east side of the Jordan River. And he says to them in just chapter 1, he says, You yourselves saw how the Lord has carried us hmm. all the way, like, and then it's intimate language, like father carries his son. Hmm. All the, and I just think, I've, I often carry my son mm. when I'm 
when we're laughing, we're joking, we're wrestling, or when he's acting up and I just need to grab him and he's kicking and screaming, God carries us like a father carries his son all the way to this place. Mm. And there's more to do. There's more to go. It's still just no more walking to do, there's, but there's, there's more caring that needs to take, to take place. Mm. So that, that affects me, yeah. that thought. And here next to this opening paragraph is a picture of God. Even in that 400 years, he didn't leave them. Mm. He didn't abandon them. In fact, he blessed. Hasn't forgotten his purpose or his promise. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. When I think about that truth revealed about God here, God is faithful. Mm -hmm. Then the next question to me is, so what's the appropriate response to that? Mm. And and the right response to a faithful God is faith. Mm. Trust him. That's what faithfulness is is for it it proves that he's trustworthy yes and not simply so that i can know intellectually that he's trustworthy but so that i can trust him hmm. and so I, I think that's the application for me trust the lord um rely on him i, I think it like we've talked about already it just produces optimism yeah. and hope because i can look at the world we're in right now as crazy as it is and know god's still at work he has not abandoned his yes. global uh, eternal purpose. Yes. This is his world. He made it. He made it to be filled with worshipers who know that he's the Lord. Yes. He's making himself known. And nothing anybody can do, yeah. Pharaoh, Egypt, whoever's <laughs> doing stuff today, <laughs> nobody can do anything to thwart that. Yeah. And so I just, I, I trust him. And I think that, that kills all kinds of anxiety in me mm. um, when I just stop and think about you know, the circumstances I'm, I'm going through in life and know in that I can trust the Lord. Mm. He'll, he's always been faithful in the past. He will see me through. So. Yes. Yeah. What, a, what a rich feast this what? is. Yeah, we're yeah. just started. We're just right. getting started. Yes. I'm excited. Mm. Cool. Well, let me pray. Yes. Lord, thank you again for your word mm-hmm. and for how you reveal yourself to us. That, that's what we need. Yeah. We need to see you for who you are so that we can know you as the Lord and trust you. Lord, would you increase our faith uh, and the faith of all the people in our church that that we would know your character, know your wondrous deeds, uh, recount them to the next generation and to those around us who don't know you uh, and, and rely on you in the midst of whatever circumstances we find ourselves. May we be people who trust you and believe you and take you at your word so that you'd be glorified in us and so that our joy would be full in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.